Hello, welcome back to the Waffle Press Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is Matt Garingo. Yes. We're talking Spider-Man. Uh, first episode went swimmingly, or should I say swingingly. Fuck you. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Gives us strength, makes us noble. Even though sometimes we have to give up the thing we want the most. We're here to talk Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, the 2004 hit film that didn't redefine sequels, but I think it's grown to be like widely recognized as one of the best sequels. Um, even now, on, on a bunch of critic polls on like what's the best superhero movie, because there's like a lot more now <laughs> in this decade, um, Spider-Man 2 is still a film that you see top a lot of lists. Every once in a while you get an outlier or something like that, but uh, it, it tends to find a comfortable spot in the top five. No, it's a great movie. Oh, this is something else. Uh, on every retrospective review of Spider-Man 2 that I found on the internet, everyone has to bring up what Roger Ebert thought of it, and we've actually been bringing up what Roger Ebert thought about a bunch of movies, so... I'm just going to insert a clip right here. Spider-Man 2 opens next Wednesday, or actually Tuesday at midnight, and I think it may be the best superhero movie I have ever seen. And I believe that he felt that way at least for a while. I don't think he ever praised a superhero movie again like he did Spider-Man 2 in his lifetime. Dark Knight, he, I think he gave a lot of praise to. Yeah, the other one's not, not so much. Well, this was still when superheroes were like a fresh thing, you know? Like... Mm -hmm. They didn't suddenly become the movie that there's five of them every year. In fact, I don't know what else came out this year. Um, Ocean's 12? That's not a superhero film. <laughs> oh, okay. well, I thought you just meant like big movies. I think I think X-Men 2 was also this year, which Ebert also gave a positive review to. Oh, yeah. Most people did back then. Yeah. Because it's, it's a good movie. It just happens to be made by a bad person. It's, uh, it's one of those ones that's really softened over time for me, but... It's uh yeah it's it's a, it's a competent film. It's about as good as the X Men ever got. I really like Logan. Does that count? No, because it's Wolverine. Okay. But the X Men movies aren't very good. No, no, they're not. Some fun production history about Spider Man Two. Uh, for the previous fifteen years, uh, prior to Spider Man Two's release, almost every draft of the film had uh or every every draft of uh, a film production had. Dr. Octopus in some capacity, with with like minor exceptions like the James Cameron draft and everything. Even Spider-Man, the original uh, draft of the Sam Raimi version, had Dr. Octopus. And so they basically just decided, yeah, this 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 seems about right. Well, he's like but, the number uh, two villain uh, after the Green Goblin. Yeah, I, and in some ways, I, I could see someone saying that this is the definitive Spider-Man villain. Maybe. Know? I mean, um, the Green Goblin's kind of positioned as his arch nemesis, but... Maybe Dr. Octopus works best thematically. Um, and he certainly has an even higher profile in the comics, like, in the past couple of years. Um, with the superior Spider-Man and all that shit. Uh, but for Dr. Octopus for this movie, Sam Raimi, there's some great uh, behind-the-scenes you can kind of find online or on the DVD extras, whatever. Uh, where everyone in the, in the production is clearly having a blast coming up with, like... The designs and the mobility of Dr. Octopus and his bionic arms. And uh, even Alfred Molina, like in a Talking Head interview, he's saying how he was very concerned going, signing on to this film because he thought the character was a lot of fun. But he was worried it might become one of those spectacle over stories kind of deals. 
And this film is very much not that. But mm-hmm. when you see him like on set doing like those um this is practice runs uh he's he's clearly having like a ball like all, all the villains in these movies look for the behind the scenes stuff on them like willem dafoe on the glider in the first one like everyone's just having the time of their life it looks exhausting but you know it's you, you don't get to do that every day going yeah, yeah. into into work and this was at a time when this again it was all still very unique now like actors sign up for these things knowing it's just to increase their box office in china and no one gives a shit. Aww. Except for except for Josh Brolin, who gives a very committed performance. <laughs> Surrounded by a bunch of superheroes that don't seem like they want to be there sometimes. Yeah, no, um, what's crazy to me about this is that this is only two years after Spider-Man. And it went into production, like, immediately after Spider-Man came out and was, like, the first movie to open to over $100 million. It was, like, a, it was like an instant hit. So they just they immediately hit the ground running. And honestly... From what you read about it, this this was actually a fairly difficult production, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I don't think comes up, especially with the screenwriting where they went through like four or five writers, um, where David Kep wrote a screenplay with Dr. Octopus and the Lizard. Um, then they brought Michael Shaben in, the author of the Pulitzer Prize winning The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. <laughs> And uh, the underrated, the Yiddish Policeman's Union. And he wrote a script that featured a younger Dr. Octopus who ended up in a love triangle with MJ. And Peter. And Harry Osborn puts a $10 million bounty on Spider-Man in the Daily Bugle. This this was eventually rejected. Do you happen to know who rejected it? Like, who was the main force in rejecting it? I believe it was Avi Arad. Yep. Um, which, I believe he was the one, which, you know, you know, broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, like, that's odd, considering decisions he'll make later, but, yeah, I mean, good on him. Because that, that's a little weird. That's the script. funny thing to hear him say here is that he doesn't love, like, love triangles. Because uh, two out of the three of these movies <laughs> have love triangles in them. So, the uh, also the... Uh, the guys who made Smallville wrote a few drafts, I believe. Oh, this I didn't know. Um, and then eventually, Sam Raimi and Alvin Sargent, who was uncredited on the first film, kind of took elements from all the previous drafts and combined them into the final version. So we're seeing, like, this is like the work of, like, four or five people here. So, and also, I mean, it's weird, it's... You, you can tell Raimi was under a lot of pressure because the budget of this shot up from the last one cost $139 million, which was the largest budget Sam Raimi had ever worked with. Now it's a $200 million movie. And that's a, that's a lot of pressure, to, you know. And this is at a time where this stuff isn't, like, guaranteed hits. And even at the time, you know, we had a couple around this era where, like, it was one and done for a couple superheroes. Um, like the Hulk and Daredevil. Or then, like, you know, they had Fantastic Four, which was a big hit, the first one, but then the second one, everyone was like, fooled me once. (laughs) And it was just done. Um, So there's no guarantee at this point that these things will turn into major franchises. It really reminds me of the production on Empire Strikes Back, which I didn't know was, like, basically a disaster until you had brought it up to me. (laughs) Like, this one, I wouldn't say it's Empire Strikes Back level, but I, I get the feeling that it was probably a very difficult shoot. Like, everyone... But it it feels, like, difficult, but, like, everyone was totally committed, which is rare. 
Because even like even Aviarod seems to be on the same page as everyone, which is another rare thing. <laughs> One thing I want to point out is the other, another Star Wars comparison. Um, on the first two Spider-Man, we see a return of John Dykstra. Yes, who, who I don't think we brought up last time. Well, we didn't bring him up last time, but if, for those who've been listening to the show for a long time, no, we brought him up on the Star Wars episodes for inventing the Dykstra Flex, um, which is his the camera that was basically used to create the amazing effects in Star Wars. And here, I don't know if he invented it for this, but they did develop a very specific camera to swing through the streets to create the uh, amazing Spider-Man movements. And it was only used in one shot in the last movie. And it here it was used like all over the place. And it's really good. Honestly, what, what I think makes this stand out from a lot of the modern movies where it like there's a huge disconnect between the actors and the effects around them where you can tell like at most maybe they had a set that was like like 10 feet across. <laughs> and then it was all green screen, or it's entirely digital, is that there's a physical camera and real backgrounds in a lot of this. And then there's, like, digital overlays on everything. And it gives these this movie a real weight that, I, that really helps it at times. Yeah, I was uh, shocked before we get into, like, the full-on movie discussion. Uh, just looking at more behind-the-scenes stuff, and, uh, like, there's a sequence where Dr. Octavius is... Uh, escaping from the police as they're firing up on him and uh, he's crawling over the building to safety right um i didn't know that that was not just like a, a cg composite on like a real mm. part of new york that's the set and yeah, then when they yeah. cut down to the police officers again there they got them like on the streets of new york and i'm like that's so it seems silly but it's kind of genius how they stitch it all together to make it so authentic this is one of those, and it's a movie that's r rarer and rarer these days, which I like to call the every trick in the book movies, <laughs> where they they basically just use every filmmaking technique you possibly could. <laughs> there's like reverse photography, there's just, there's, you know, um, there's just, oh god, what was, what's the term? What the, what's the stuff they used on the fucking Lord of the Rings movies? Um, forced perspective, oh, I... there's some ah. forced perspective in this, there's puppetry, there's CGI, there's stop motion. <laughs> There's pretty much ev everything you could use in a movie at this time, and it's crazy. And it, it looks, it makes it a real wild experience. <laughs> um, another person behind the scenes, I guess we should point out, is that this is the first Spider-Man movie shot by Bill Pope. Yes, the amazing Bill Pope. Um, for those who don't know, he did the Matrix trilogy, he did most of Edgar Wright's stuff, and he worked on Alita most recently. Uh, which might explain why I like the Lita so much. Among other reasons. Which has finally gotten a Blu-ray release, and I believe it comes out after this episode will air. But uh, yep. like July 13th or something like well, that? Yeah, it's going to be digital first and then Blu-ray. So and Finally, I'm so excited. It's going to be one of those Blu-rays, though, where there's like nothing on the disc. That's, that's my biggest fear, but that's another conversation, I guess. And But another thing I guess I should mention is that Check the, get Spider-Man while you can on Blu-ray, Spider-Man 2, because the documentary, the behind-the-scenes making-of is one of the best making-ofs you'll see um, from this era, which I think now we're only recognizing as maybe the golden age of special effects, <laughs> because again, it was just, it was like a great mix of things, where now it's like everything feels like that 
sterile like fishbowl type filmmaking <laughs> i never heard it put with fishbowl but uh i get i get what you're saying yeah yeah it's, um, you know there everything has a similar look to it and it's because well we could just do it in post and it's like no that's not yeah yeah it's obviously that's the easier way to go to unless you're the workers working in post but um just like the mix of like even how they do the arms like there's this great uh behind the scenes look with those two where you're seeing how like there's a scene where Dr. Octavius captures a, a glass of scotch falling out of the midair and he brings it towards him and the camera follows the glass and he takes a sip and they're like switching in and out like longer versions of the arms and the like yeah. uh certain areas that are going to be covered by CG and post and it's just like this is beautiful filmmaking and I, yeah, I exactly. it's it's wonderful it, it made me happy to like movies and I don't think this would be stuff that would be really more expensive. I don't think movies have really gotten cheaper. I think the I, honestly, I think the main thing is that it would take more time, maybe, and that's the one thing that studios don't give these days. Yeah, I mean, like so again, to bring back to Alita, they pushed that back almost like an entire year, I think, at some mm. point, uh, and just to work on the effects work, mm. you know, and it's. Yeah. That's a great looking movie. Uh, oh, it looks amazing I, at times. I mean, I, th I think they even did the same thing for Jupiter Ascending, and that's a very much a your mileage may vary movie. Well, Jupiter but, Ascending also reshot like half the movie. Yeah, but also they they ended up pushing that back like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, also for that and the, the effects work, the, the effects are not issues people tend to have with that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately. Um, it's a damn shame the Wachowskis have been driven out of the business. Yeah, they they, they deserve better. I just started watching Sense8, and oh my god. Although, to be fair, not many people get as many swings as they have gotten. That That is also true. So I think we should that, maybe just true. be happy with what we have. Barker! Where you been? Looking for you all morning. You're late. Always late. You're fired. Look at you, Peter. Your grades have been declining. You always appear exhausted. <laughs> I know, I'm trying. Should we talk about the new cast members of the film? Yes. Alfred fucking Molina as Otto Octavius. Forever doing me to a life of where I will be obsessed with character actors. <laughs> Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus in 2004. Because um, goddamn is he good in this. And very different, a very different interpretation of the character than in the comics. Yeah, he, um, you know, you, every day now you hear a new actor sign on to a superhero film. And they're like, well, I did a lot of research and I really like the character. And then um, with Alfred Molina, he's like, I knew nothing. But <laughs> like looking into like the the different designs over the years of the character, he he talks about like how interested he was in like the, the varying like trench coats and like the, the, the crappy haircut. And he was really drawn to the sense of humor. He found for the character, which is not something I would have thought of, but that's, you know, I'm not an actor. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So they got the trench coat look, the the weird kind of ugly bowl cut at some point, and uh, the, the sense of humor. Is there a supervillain that drops more dad jokes than Dr. Octopus? Before we start, has anybody lost a large roll of $20 bills in a rubber band? Because we found the rubber band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it makes him really endearing like right before things go horribly wrong i don't know that's just brilliant because like, it doesn't need to be there <laughs> yeah and it's these little flourishes which is totally like an alvin Sargent thing 
mm-hmm. uh, that that really add this depth and humanity. Like we talked about that a lot in the first film discussion, and that it not only carries over here, it's increased like exponentially, and mm-hmm. it's just the most emotionally fulfilling and also kind of draining movie. Uh, draining in a good way because I'm like expending so many feelings towards it in happy and sad ways and excited ways. But uh, it's th- this is this is why I go to the movies to to experience something hopefully half as good as Spider Man Two. Oh, it's great. Um, we also get we get uh, Donna Murphy as uh, Rosalind Octavius. She's only in it a bit. Yeah, um, this movie's unfortunately got some uh, dead wife syndrome. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's which, true. No, never the best. And I'm not even sure if the movie totally needed it. You could probably have figured out another way to do it. I mean, this movie, this, this is a very emotional movie, and it really is a love story at the end of the day. So maybe you need that, like, you need that element of love lost for the villain, for it to just emotionally fit with the story. Because otherwise it's just a guy building his machine mm-hmm. you need a guy who's like really lost everything you know it's just it's not the best trope in cinema yeah it's uh it, it's not helped because of the surrounding circumstances with uh that kind of storytelling in a film with generally very good storytelling yeah and honestly it wouldn't be that bad if this was like the only movie that did it <laughs> It's just that, like, literally every other movie does it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, not the best. We also get Dylan Baker as Kurt Connors. So good in these. Talk about a guy who was committed to a franchise that never rewarded him. Yeah. Because he really deserved, he really, he had earned it by the third one, definitely. And I think he even signed on to play that character. Like, it was yeah. a, it was a Harvey Dent situation. Well, remember, the, the first drafts of this movie were going to feature the lizard. So that's how he even ends up in these movies. <laughs> so, you know, and I, they kept talking about it. And, I mean, there were plans to do six of these movies at one point. We also get Elia Baskin as a Mr. Ditkovich. Rent! Rent? Who is uh, another amazing character actor pops up, um, and his daughter Ursula, who is a interesting figure that's hovering in the background of the next two movies. Yeah, <laughs> to um, say the least. I mean, there's this there's this weird. This is uh, true in the comics too. Is that for such a schlub, there's a lot of women in Peter Parker's life. <laughs> I don't know if there is a, another superhero with this many women in the supporting cast. Mm, I was going to say Ma- Batman, but... I want to not... say male male superhero, I should say. Yeah. Um, Batman probably comes close. And Well, Batman, all of them are villains, pretty much, except, like, Vicky Vale. Uh, villains, or he ends up sleeping with them. Yeah, or heroes. There's a couple heroes. Yeah. Um, but then they kind of do their own thing. Like, he... He very much keeps his distance. <laughs> and we got it. Well, we got Batman is a character that is terrified of women. And here we have a character who like is desperately seeking a mother figure. <laughs> cause he, cause that's like all the women do. Like even Betty Brant gets a moment in this. 
where he's like, chin up, you know? And he's getting, like, all this emotional support from women, and he's such a dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just interesting that, like, he, he becomes, like, the poster child for, like, oh, Peter Parker, he's such a nerd. But there's, like, he's just surrounded by women constantly. <laughs> I think it's because in this film he's significantly less creepy, like intentionally so. I think he's he he's just kind of a loser in this one, like a really huge loser. This is also really a story about impotence. So. Oh yeah, no, the first one's the coming of age. This one's the natural follow up to that. Oh yeah, the the non coming of age story. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you stole my joke. I reworked it. I reworked it. Sure. That's what you call it, Robin Williams. Aww. That was a mistake. You know the famous adage, speak ill of the dead. All right, uh, Tobey Maguire, of course, returns as the titular web swinger. Uh, this movie, like, beats him up constantly, like, emotionally, physically. What I think makes this movie work really well is that from the get-go, it's like he's just constantly getting kicked in the face. It's like every scene is another punch. And it never lets up. And I think that's, honestly, it's kind of shocking that this was as big a hit because, like, I feel like today, if a movie did this, like, audiences would be like, why was there all this boring stuff in there? Why was, why was the, their hero was such a loser? Because honestly, one thing you forget is that Dr. Octopus disappears for large chunks of this movie. I mean, we go through the whole Spider-Man No More thing without any Dr. Octopus. <laughs> and that's like a huge part of the movie. And I, I feel like that, that's incredibly rare these days. We're not here for the human story. No one pays for the human story, but what makes the movie stick with them is the human story. Well, that's why the the, the best of these endure. Yeah. You know? Because, well, uh, like, then... like I always say on the show, don't listen. Nerds don't know what they want. <laughs> and I, that's true about even me. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they want. So, because what they want is Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus. And what they want is the Sinister Six. Oh, boy, do they and, want that. Yeah. And what is uninteresting is that. And what's interesting is, can Peter Parker keep his fucking pizza job? <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Like, right no, off he the cannot. Bat. No, he is fired immediately. <laughs> and there's, like, I, I love it where it's, like, he's, like, come on, give me another chance. And, you know... I feel like at this point in life, we've been accustomed to movies where a character will be like, come on, give me another chance. And someone will be like, oh, all right. Like in this type of movie. And then he's like, no, you're fucking fired. You fucked up. <laughs> it's like, you don't get to just ask. And and then we immediately go to like the doc, uh, fucking Dr. Connors, who's like, look, if you keep missing my class, I'm going to fail you. There's no other way around it. It's, it's just basic action and consequence storytelling mm -hmm. and it's it does play a little 
weird for a for a sequel. Again, this one doesn't reinvent the wheel for storytelling. It just does the best possible thing in advancing the characters and their stories. Um, just the idea of opening up with like, yeah, Peter is losing, not because he's suffering like some great trauma from the last film. Like in in a sense, he is, you know, with Uncle Ben and isolating himself from the people who care about him. Yeah, he's, it, his, well, the movie starts out with him talking about how he, you know, he's looking at Mary Jane every day, and she can never be a part of his life. Yeah, and that's definitely hanging over him. But his mm. problems and hers are separate from their relationship. Mm. It becomes a problem again once they start trying to reconvene. But they got other stuff going on, and that's what I really love about the Sam Raimi movies. There, there's a real, um, consistent like evolution outside of the characters, uh, the main characters' dynamics and relationships. It, it gives it this, like, really fresh feeling, even now, you know, like, a decade later. Well, it's still, it still holds up, especially today. I mean, who who isn't struggling? Yeah. And, and who doesn't at times feel like they're the only ones fighting their battle, you know? And that they can't let other people in on it, you know? I mean, we're not mm-hmm. fucking Spider-Man. But we all have shit where we feel like, you know what, That's gotta, I gotta handle that on my own. I can't let someone be a part of that. And this movie kind of teaches us that's probably a mistake. But, like, in the first ten minutes of this movie, he's fired from his pizza job. He's almost fired from the Bugle. And is actually in debt to the Bugle. And then we find out that it's his birthday. That was the craziest thing, um, rewatching this recently, like... One day. That all happened in one day. This poor fucking guy. And the implication is that that's just another day for Peter Parker. It's great. And then we get the returning. We get return of uh, Kirsten Dunst as MJ and uh, James Franco as Harry Osborn. And uh, they've, you know, they're there for his birthday. And it's such a sad, miserable birthday. <laughs> and they, But they've all grown distant from... Peter, you know? And that's partly Peter's fault from shutting them off. The dynamic between Peter and Harry in this film, it is the most uncomfortable thing ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, right off the bat, happy birthday, pal. Oh, all this great stuff's going on for me. And Peter's like, ha, that's cool. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, do you see the guy who killed my dad? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, way to go, dude. Happy birthday. Harry could be a little more understanding. I mean, he's I, I, very I, much I, got a chip on his shoulder. He does, and he's trying to live up to his father. I mean, he says almost from the beginning, he's like that. What Doctor Octavius is doing will put Oscorp on the map in ways my father never even dreamed of. So he's trying to like one up his dead father, <laughs> which is not a great place to be in life. <laughs> um, Mind you, these kids are supposed to be like twenty one or twenty two. Yeah, well, they're thrust into adulthood. That's part of these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nobel Prize, Otto. We'll see you in Sweden. Mm. I always thought that was a cute line. Like, oh, dude, you don't even know. And I do get a moment with uh, MJ. And I again, I think the brilliant stroke from the last movie that they've had like this long relationship that they've known each other forever and they don't just meet in the first movie is what really helps the relationship. Because we end up in the backyard again, which starts this movie... With they they repeat scenes and locations from the last movie to show how things have like evolved, and she's now a big star. Um, I think she's still off Broadway in this movie. Yeah, but, no, she hasn't made her big break yet, but she she's getting big. Like this is her uh, her rise to stardom. She's getting big. She's on billboards. 
and that's crazy. It's just, it's just, it's an awkward moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, she mentions, she finally drops that she has a boyfriend, but it's very clear that she's just trying to get a rise out of Peter, you know? Yeah. Um, which, which starts this off on an interesting note where, cause I don't know. Um, again, we're talking about a script written by all men. The whole plot of MJ does a lot in this movie that is clearly just to get to any emotion out of Peter. And that kind of becomes her thing for this movie. I don't know if that's the only thing for this movie, though. It's not the only thing, but it's the main thing, I would say. It's a big part of it. If we're looking at it just from their the romantic angle, because that kind of ends up encompassing everything. But I don't think it is her sole drive in the movie. You know, it becomes the drive by the end of it. The frustrating thing is that what what this movie's telling us is that they both love each other. She knows it, and he just won't say it, because he's a fucking dweeb. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm Spider-Man, I can't tell you I love you. And she's like, you're Spider-Man? And he's like, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, it's, re- it's really thus that she's like, what the fuck? Like, make a move, <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've given you everything. And, like, I, it's kind of like, it's more her being like, look, I'm not going to wait around forever. This is your last chance. I'm about to seal the fucking deal with fucking John Jameson, the astronaut. Not just the astronaut. The perfectly chiseled American hero, perfect jawline. To the first person to play football on the moon. The delicious. <laughs> oh John yeah, who's that? The woman who introduces him at the gala. That's... Look, okay. I also want to say I don't want to jump around too much for this movie, but I love this movie with all my heart. There's on occasion some little lines or moments like that where I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, why did that happen? That's what makes me love this movie. Wow. Oh no, I love it too. Like, I got I got some note about the doctor visit later. That's just fucking hysterical. But uh, I'm just... Oh, the doctor scene is incredible. <laughs> but it's just funny stuff like that. Uh, that makes it a little more special to me. Uh, but no, I, I mm-hmm. think... Uh, while, of course, these are written by men, there's a real understanding and tenderness to their... Uh, the Peter and MJ relationship, you know? Like, we never see... Yeah. Uh, characters in movies, these... These huge... Get to be vulnerable, you know? Like... Um, it, it it really brought me back to like a happy place just just watching these two people not be able to say something. Really, Peter not being able to say something. Well, so much, so many other similar movies. The female character is like the additional prize at the end of the movie. Like the male character goes on a completely unrelated arc that somewhat ties into a romance, yeah. you know. And but here the romance is the arc. The romance what each of these characters want for themselves in their own lives and who they want to share it with is the big thing. And that's why I can, I can kind of see the, some valid criticism about MJ in this film, but I don't really buy into it either. If you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big anti MJ person. Um, I just get that, you know, we're talking about a movie, again, with a large female cast, but they're all kind of supporting one dopey dude. Yeah, yeah. So, But I, I would say it's definitely a huge step up from the supporting cast of Batman. <laughs> Fucking oof. Yeah. 
speaking of other female characters, um, we also get Aunt May in this, and we find out she's being foreclosed on, also on Peter's birthday. Dude, just having the worst day of his life, and it's just the beginning of the movie. Yeah. This is the first 15 minutes of the movie. And uh, when he goes to wake her up, she's asleep after the party. And her first thing is, what, Ben? Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's a heartbreaking film. And then she says, everybody's gone, aren't they? And that's this phrase with a lot of double meaning to it. And then she, like, forces him to take that $20. Like, good <laughs> lord. It's, uh, it, it was not, it's not an easy movie to revisit because of just how, like, emotionally devastating I find it. I, I will power you know through no, it. I gotta course, be honest, but, you know. it is very devastating, but it's, it's cathartic in a way. I think it's satisfying in a way that other movies that would explore similar stuff because they're maybe more serious dramas don't necessarily, um, give you a satisfying conclusion. Because they're not meant to. Um, I just I watched uh, a woman under the influence for the first time a couple weeks back, which is a, basically a, about a woman who's like having a mental breakdown, and also it's a blue collar family, and they don't know what to do, and they have children, and it's just awful, and it's like almost it's two and a half hours long, and then it just stops. <laughs> Like, there's, like, literally, like, a big fight, and then the movie just starts going, all right, now it's over. It's like, there's no conclusion <laughs> to this. You, you got to see a little bit into these people's lives, and now you're leaving. Oh, Bye boy. Now. That sounds uplifting. Yeah, no, it's a great movie. Honestly, it's, uh, that's one of those movies where I'd never seen it, and it's, like, all, all those lists where it's, like, the hundred films you need to see before you die. And I'm like, well, I better fucking get to that. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> And uh, it's one of those movies where, like, from the first frame, it just works. So, it's, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I put this off so long. But it is, it's not an uplifting film. And it's not supposed to be. Well, not in the same, I mean, you can get a lot out of that movie, too. But it's not meant to be satisfying. Whereas this, when you get to the end of it, it all this that happens in the start just makes the ending all the more satisfying. So where you been, pal? You don't return my calls. I've been kind of busy. Taking pictures of your friend. Spider-Man killed my father. No matter what I do. Do you love me or not? No matter how hard I try. I want Spider-Man dead. It's the ones I love who will always be the ones who pay. I can't keep thinking about you. I'm getting married. I want a life of my own. I'm Spider-Man. No more. I just want to read you a quote from Sam Raimi that I think is relevant. One thing he said about the production of this, he said, Good stories show us the way that it is possible. And I think that sums up his Spider-Man films better than anything else. I'd never heard that. That was, uh, that's the, eh, yeah. I like that one. It's just, it's just hidden right in the middle of that making of. And it's like not underlined at all. So, but yeah. Um, that's what he's, I think that's what he believes a superhero story should do. That it's going to like show us that things can work. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and it's something that I don't think any superhero film has done in about a decade. Uh, I, I'll vouch for others. A hand, like maybe three, actually. 
Well, the the ones I would vouch for maybe are like Guardians, and I don't really consider those superhero films. Well, in that case, uh, I well, I got nothing. <laughs> well, speaking of the party, there's at the very end of it, MJ drops how Peter hasn't made it to her play yet. And uh, that other people have been to it. And first of all, no offense, but maybe you know, I Peter's broke. I get that she can leave him a ticket. He's got a he's got a lot. Yeah, even an off Broadway play is kind of expensive. So yeah, just just getting to the play would be a problem for Peter. So like you know, give him a little bit of a break. But I get it that she's well, upset that he hasn't even ma- he hasn't even made the attempt to see it at this point. Which, you know, that's that's a problem. Yeah, again, the the implication is that it's... Well, not the implication. It's been two or three years since the first Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. At some point, it that does kind of fall on him. Yes, and also he's very much pushing her away. Like, it's not just that he's, like, busy. Mm-hmm. He is trying to, like, get her out of his life. But um, when she drops the boyfriend thing, then suddenly he's like, eh, I'm gonna go see your play. <laughs> we get him trying to buy flowers. Which is uh, embarrassing, <laughs> but hey, you know he keeps his keeps his chin up, and uh, that. But of course, um, there is a disturbance. I say there's a car chase that uh, distracts him. I just want to point out one thing I love about that car chase is that uh, it, they make it very clear that if Spider-Man didn't do something, people would die. <laughs> So you can't just go like, hey, maybe ignore this one thing, Spider-Man. It's like, no, if he had ignored it and been like, nope, I'm going to MJ's play, like, we people would have died. We then meet uh, Bruce Campbell as the snooty usher. The only character in this trilogy to have defeated Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, I, I just love the, the Bruce Campbell cameos in these. Oh, yeah. I, I, there's, there's great concept art of Mysterio as chubby Bruce Campbell. Yeah. In a potential fourth film that never got made, so well, that's something we'll have to live with. Wasn't the idea going to be that it was going to be revealed at some... Like, I'm not saying they planned this, but that they were going to go, hey, the reason why there's all these Bruce Campbell-looking people is because they were all Mysterio the whole time. I don't know, but that would have been kind of hilarious. I think that was what they were going with. Because um, they tried to do... Like, there was a lot of talk about Bruce Campbell playing a villain in one of these, and he went... There was a lot of different, like, talks about who he would play. Um, but I think the only concept art that's ever surfaced is him as Mysterio. The fact that there isn't a Spider-Man 4 really irks me. We'll, we'll get to it in the next film, but the story was basically done. No. I'm, I'm okay with, with where they left off. They don't leave it on a good note. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. I'm sorry, but, um, no, they could, there's, there's a lot more here. And they never... There's so much unresolved at the end of 3, really. Um, but that's kind of the point. But it's still... It's very clear that they were like, we'll fix this later. <laughs> and they never did. I would welcome another three Spider-Man films with this cast and crew. Yeah. Completely. But it won't happen. It might be a little late at this point. No, I say still go for it. <laughs> okay, I don't know. It's because Spider-Man's never really been allowed to be old man Spider-Man. We got chubby dad bod Spider-Man and Into the Spider-Verse, but that's about it. You know, like, he, there's a lot of old man Batmans out there, but not the well, same. there's one old man Spider-Man story out there, and mm. it's just awful. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, holy shit. Don't read that. Um, so after he misses this play, and he sees MJ with her new boyfriend for the first time, um, of course, he, he is called away by sirens. 
But as he starts swinging away, his web shooting stops. And he falls. And this becomes a recurring thing through the film. Impotence. It just These movies yes. are not subtle. Not subtle. Arguably, they shouldn't be, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm encouraging it. But it's still, like, amazing to hear people say, like, oh, well, you know, those were good for their time. But then they won't elaborate on, like what any of the movies are trying to say. So it's like, well, maybe they're not subtle enough or maybe they're too subtle still, you know, I guess sometimes these, what these movies are actually saying about Spider-Man and his relationships tend to go over people's heads. Well, it's kind of incredible when you have people going around being like infinity war was one of the best movies of the year. And that movie's about nothing. (laughs) Like literally. I won't say who. This person has basically been banned from, like, even film Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- former popular blogger who, whose Infinity War... I didn't click on it. I just saw a screen cap of it that said, Infinity War is about the 2016 election results. Ah. And I was like, yep, I'm going offline for the day. <laughs> that's that's a, that's the worst take I might have ever seen. That's, the, that, that's a bad one. Yeah. That's, that's really bad. So now I'm here to tell you that Spider-Man 2 is actually about how America breaks people, spirits, and dreams. Yeah, well, of course it is. <laughs> you needed a movie but to But it's that. still okay at the end of the day. Well, as long is... as we open up with each other. Yeah, well, it's one of those, it's one of those like, classic Hollywood things of being like, yeah, the world's tough, but as long as you have love. You know, which isn't really a great answer to problems. I don't think it has the answer. I just think it says, like, this is what we can do about it right now. Yeah, sometimes that's all you can do. And also, honestly, I'll be honest, when you look at the last shot of this movie, it's not a high note. No, no. I I, I want to save that. We'll save that, but... This is a great continuation of the melancholy of the first film. Mm -hmm. It's not an optimistic ending, though Peter now thinks it is. So stepping back a bit, we, we finally get um, Dr. Otto Octavius' introduction. Peter is allowed to meet him through uh, Harry because Peter's writing a report on him. That's a whole thing. It doesn't really go anywhere, to be honest, but um, hey, it gets, it gets that these characters to meet before they're fighting, you know? Which is something you don't always get in these type of movies. Uh, Norm, I mean, talk about the last time. Even though he knew Norman Osborn, the creation of the Green Goblin, the creation of the Spider-Man happened completely independently. <laughs> and here we meet, we get to hang out with Dr. Octopus before he's Dr. Octopus for a long time. <laughs> Big fan of how casually it it just shows uh, that like Peter and, and Otto get along so well. That's like, oh, what have we been talking about for the last three hours? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, well, it's a little on the nose, but all right, let's roll with it. Because I buy it. You it's, know? It's, a, it's close to in movies where someone goes, as you know, and then drops important exposition. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I know it, so why are you saying it? But <laughs> yeah. um, it's a little better than that. Um, yeah, no, no. It's, a, it's, it's the right kind of goofy for, for these types of movies. Uh, and really, it's the chemistry between... All three of the characters, including uh, Otto's wife, for the short period of time she's on screen. Yeah, well, they make Um, you like her, so you feel bad when she dies. uh, Do you think she's kind of... Does she veer into the the Nolan prop problem? Um, A little bit, but um, honestly, you feel more for her than you feel for Gwen Stacy in Amazing Mm Spider-Man 2. 
Oh boy! And that's mo- they had two movies to set that relationship up. You're not wrong. You know, it's it, when I think of that movie in the whimsical clock tower of death. Um, just the the slack jawed look on her face as she's like almost falling to her death. Like she doesn't even seem to really care that she's about to die. Yeah, no, don't 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 go down that rabbit hole. I took my younger brother to that movie. I'm so sorry. And then I had to explain to him why she died. Uh, well, because it happened in the comics. Yep, that's basically what I said. <laughs> and I think I maybe convinced him that day to never ever read superhero comics because <laughs> they will turn you into a bad person. You know, actually, you might be onto something about that. I don't want to. If you get too into it, if you get too into anything, you're going to be a bad person. So I don't want to just say superhero comics. Goddamn, mix up your life, people. Like, what the fuck are we doing if we're just going to be, like, into one thing? Don't you want to do everything except sports because that's terrible? (laughs) One thing I do like is that Otto Octavius kind of shuts him down immediately when he's like, you're Connor student. He says you're brilliant. Also says you're lazy. (laughs) And, uh... He says, a quote that comes back around, was, intelligence is not a privilege, it's a gift, and you use it for the betterment of mankind. That's an interesting, and you know, it's a little, it's another way to say, with great power comes great responsibility. It's another interpretation of that line. Mm -hmm. It's different, and uh, of course, it'll, Dr. Octopus's views might change as the film goes on. Yes, which I will, I'll, I'll be glad to dive into later too. But I think it's also, uh, apart from the chemistry, why you buy into their relationship as an audience member. Yeah. Like, uh, you, you see why Peter would be attracted to a man who has that kind of sensibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, hey, I could look up to, I have another father figure to look up to, basically. You know, yeah. the last one ended up dead. The one before that ended well, you up almost dead. Feel My like father ended up dead. You feel like that could happen. If, the, if this movie went another direction, you know. You feel like something like that could happen, and it just, and you know there's been other mediums where that's been explored, of course. Um, but it's honestly really sad, and uh, we also get even though this happens before the whole his webs not shooting scene, we do get talk about it on the nose. Um, Octavia says straight to him, he says, "If you keep something as complicated as love stored up inside, it'll make you sick." Which is, like, literally what happens. <laughs> and he, of course, gives the very bad advice about poetry. <laughs> but again, that's totally, like, the dad uh, Otto Octavius thing. Like, oh, yeah, just do this. And, of course, it's going to work, like, terribly. It's funny that he says it, but it's even funnier that Peter buys into it. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the world. Like, Peter, that's how Peter views the world. You know? Oh, boy, yeah. He's so naive. At the end of the day. And this movie is, it's fairly whimsical, but every now and then it'll be like, no, that's not how the world works. <laughs> like it's like, This one's very much grounding Peter Parker as a character. Yeah. But like, it, you know, it keeps it like fun and light, but every now and then it'll be like, you know, all right, we're only going to have a little bit of fun. Let's <laughs> not lose total sight of reality. And of course, Dr. Octopus is like, don't worry, nothing will go wrong. And so fucking shit goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to if you want to embrace an audience for something to go terribly terribly wrong just have a character say that <laughs> and be like oh okay that's coming good I'm gonna get you know ready. though like even then like i it's weird i'm giving this movie credit just for what it doesn't do which i guess is something to be said about modern movies because i feel like 
in another movie who'd have been like, don't worry, Peter, nothing will go wrong. And then, like, the camera pulls in and you're like, dun, 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 like. (laughs) Whereas here, he just kind of goes like, look, Peter, I've double-checked everything. Everything's fine. It's just kind of like in the middle of things. It's not what the main point of the discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's still on the nose, but it's like, it's better than most movies. What I'm saying is that these movies have, like, the perfect family movie tone. It's the tone, and I keep bringing this up, but it really is about the humanity in the stories and the characters here Mm -hmm. where it's the drama is really the focus of this big triumphant superhero movie, you know, or maybe triumphant. Every movie needs to be about humanity or like this, you know, the heart and conflict and shit, but it works very well with Spider-Man. It's like the perfect fit for him. Mm -hmm. I honestly feel like sometimes with Marvel characters, they let the characters become, they to overshadow the story. I feel like there's a more social element to a lot of the other Marvel characters than Spider-Man. Because, you know, like a lot of them, a lot of the other Marvel characters are usually faces of some bigger entity, you know? Like mm-hmm. Iron Man, he's he's makes weapons, right? And he makes, he's a scientist. Right. He's got a whole, he's got a huge corporation behind him. Captain America is the face of the U.S. military. Thor's from Asgard. And... Spider-Man is just the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And too many other movies will, like, they'll ignore that other important element. And here they don't ignore it just because it doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. And frankly, we'll, we'll get to it in later films, but it the other films might touch on it better than a movie that really needs it. I'm very curious about what you mean now. Well, we'll get to that. Oh, boy. Um, I guess with the creation of Dr. Octopus, we should talk about the fucking terrifying doctor murder scene. Oh, God. Even people that don't like this movie, they're wrong, of course. Mm. But this is the scene where everyone's, like, pretty unanimously across the board, like, oh, yeah. That was awesome. Every one of these movies has a moment where Sam Raimi can let, like, his horror origins just show. And this is def- this is probably the most the scariest scene in any of the movies. It, it's, uh, it's straight up, like, um. Evil Dead. At one point, uh, even with the chainsaw, yeah. you have a woman who's dragged away to her death, <laughs> scraping the floor. This one might be the most horror influenced of the movies, actually, too. And it, it on the surface, it wouldn't look like that. So there's there's, a, there's one thing I want to bring up alongside this uh, because I we should talk about the sequence a little more too. But in Doctor Octopus is like a layer it, by that like Broken Harbor Pier, whatever. Hmm. There's a lot of inspiration from like. The classic black and white, like, uh, German horror films going on. Oh, yeah. And then with this sequence, it's, like, it's almost cartoony. It's that perfect Sam Raimi tone. Like, if you talk to anybody who loves Sam Raimi and you start describing a Sam Raimi movie, like, this is what it would look like, you know? Why well, I would argue that the superhero genre is a natural extension of the horror movie genre. Particularly monster movies, and particularly Marvel characters. Marvel characters, a lot of them are monster stories. And that makes a lot of sense when you consider that before the Fantastic Four, Marvel was just turning out different (laughs) monsters every week. I mean, that's where Groot comes from. You know, he's like pre-Marvel. Or Fin Fang Foom, (laughs) who everyone loves. Sure. What, you don't like Fin Fang Foom? I like the design. He wears underpants. 
It's a giant green dragon who wears purple underpants. The Hulk's gonna sue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that that sequence is is incredible, and like uh, every like punch and, and scrape across the the hospital floor is just like grisly and gnarly, and mm. the poor last dude who who gets the chainsaw. You just get the perspective oh, yeah. of all the claws, and they just like scramble his face. Mm. Uh, it's oh, that's the shit right there. It's just metal hitting flesh. <laughs> And then you, it peaks with the grand operatic Alfred Molina going, no! <laughs> you know what? The best no in cinema in the early 2000s. Mm, it's up in the air for me. It's better than the one that came next year. Mm, I don't, that's the one I was in contention with. <laughs> that movie is so space opera that fits perfectly that is not the problem with revenge of the that's Sith, a good way to whatever. end a story about an abuser that's <laughs> we're not we're not getting into this right now jesus christ <laughs> now let's talk more about this movie with the guy with eight uh, robot arms or whatever the fuck <laughs> four robot arms eight four robot total. arms and a spider who can't shoot his white web out anymore because he's having relationship issues that's some subtle shit. <laughs> uh, but they need a name for him. So J. Jonah Jameson comes back into the picture strong and brings in Hoffman. Ted Raimi himself. Hoffman. To try to decide a name. Along with, Shaz- with the Shazam reference in the, the first film, we get a little mention of Doctor Strange. And he doesn't shoot it down. The one name he doesn't shoot down. Pretty good. But it's taken. Mm. I love that. With all my heart. That was, that was the, this was that era where that was like the most we would get for a shared universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And I think that might have got me, because I think I maybe asked my dad after the movie what that meant, and then I found Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange has been one of my favorites ever since. And thankfully, I got to live to an age where I paid to see a Doctor Strange movie in theaters and went, eh, good enough, and then never watched it again. <laughs> uh, great, great third act, everything else kind of whatever, but that's not the point. Um, great third act. What the fuck? That's the best Fucking... part of that movie. How do you like? Are you like are a Marvel apologist at like the weirdest times? I'm sorry. Except like, that you I'm hate not. At the... I don't understand when you hate them, and I don't understand when you like them. <laughs> I hate Endgame, and Civil War, and half of Infinity War. And the and other one, you some... like Age of Ultron. Oh yeah, Age of Ultron's great. Which is one of the worst movies I've ever had to endure. No, no, no. It's it continues the Marvel thing about these characters being monsters, bringing it back around. Heyo. Yeah. Nah. God damn! I can't believe there's a movie less subtle than Spider-Man Two. <laughs> and anyways, um, also J. Jonah Jameson makes the comment, pointed comment, that a guy named Otto Octavius winds up with eight limbs. Haha. <laughs> Get it, everyone? I do love that Dr. Octopus immediately just starts robbing banks. I mean... <laughs> banks like, with big old coin bags. Yeah, it's like... Again, it's that weird like cartoon logic that's in the middle of this. <laughs> it's like, how did he get... Uh, like, okay, he got funding, but who is he buying this equipment from? Where is he getting it from? It. That's not the point. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not what this movie is trying to explore. <laughs> it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about... These broken people with their broken dreams just trying to decide what they really want for themselves, what they can have, and what they're going to have to sacrifice to get there, you know? And 
and I don't mean sacrifice and like that. I got to sacrifice everything I know and love. Like, you know, that, that man pain porn, basically it's, this movie has a more romantic view. This movie takes a very strong stance against self-martyrdom. Yeah, and I think that's also why so many people do love it. Because, like, how often do we have to deal with that bullshit nowadays, you know? I think it's why I think it's why so many people love it and why so many people hate it. Because <laughs> there's a huge hate-dom for these movies. And I was actually thinking about it, like, what other movies are there where a male protagonist is allowed to be like emotional about a romance in a way that isn't like angry um this is softball credit but i think iron man 3 works a lot for me because we're allowed to see tony stark being very vulnerable with pepper mm. like he's that's him and his most vulner, emotionally vulnerable like he ever was in these movies uh yeah. since the first iron man at least you know uh-huh and uh, that, that that one gets a lot right with that. There still doesn't feel like a, a series like this where – because, I mean, that's sort of like, you know, male, like, where they where they, they go, all right, I'm sad about a woman, is, like, so reserved for, like, comedies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's usually played for laughs. And then, like, what's played for, like, serious is, like, if a man's having a problem with a woman, he has to get angry. And uh, that might – be unhealthy for society. Yeah, we, we we don't we don't need that anymore. We I don't think we ever needed it. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's different ways to approach things. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to explore things. It's just it gets always gets weird when we're exploring things all the same way. Mm-hmm. And that seems that's the big problem with media right now is it feels like everything is just getting more and more similar. But about an hour into this movie, um, we find out MJ is engaged, and she's going to get married. And that's when Peter's Spider-Man powers almost completely fail him. And he finally goes to a doctor about all this. But it's it's a very cute scene, I guess I'll say. Uh, where, you know, it's he's basically on like a, a, like a little kid doctor's room. If you look around at like the setting. Yeah. Am I messing this up? Is am I am I wrong? Um, you're not wrong, but I, I'll be honest. It's not that different from a lot of doctors' offices. Okay, well, it, it looked it, it looked smaller. It, it, it's a, it is a little whimsical though. With like, he is kind of like the doctor's like, "Hey, how you feeling, buddy?" Like, you know, yeah, with his stoner Hawaiian shirt on. Because yeah. this is my favorite line from from this scene where he goes, "Well, you look pretty all right to me." And I'm like, "Really, talk? That's your fucking like medical opinion." They sh- they, I, I, I really wish they had cut to a scene of him leaving the doctor's office with a lollipop. Oh, that would have been perfect. That would have been amazing. Um, but this is the one of the first chances Peter gets to talk um, about Spider-Man with someone. In or out of the costume, with, without directly saying it, you know. I want to say, though, here's the moment, because he, he, he admits that he's been having dreams where he's Spider-Man. But actually, they're a friend's dreams. And... Um, the, he keeps climbing walls and falling off. And the doctor's like, well, maybe it's because you're not supposed to be Spider-Man. <laughs> and here's an important lesson I want kids out there to learn, which is never trust the first diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't distrust it, but don't just take it as, like, written in stone. Always get a second opinion, especially on big things. This actually brings up an idea I, I didn't even consider uh, going into this recording. 
some of the most interesting films I think we talk about on these retrospectives are films that have very difficult questions with occasionally no answers or at least very difficult answers like Halloween 2018, The Dark Knight. And at the right at the midway of this point of this movie, this is where Spider-Man has to or Peter Parker has to determine what he really wants in life more than just Mary Jane. What is what are these things costing him to to be Spider-Man? And should they even have to cost him anything? You know, yeah. Like, does he have to choose one or the other? Like, and the answer we'll find out is no. But it's still not going to be easy. He chose in the, at first. He chooses that he's not Spider-Man. He, I'm Spider-Man no more. Um, he has the the dream with dead Uncle Ben. He says, I can't live your dream anymore. I'm just Peter Parker. And then, I mean, they take the image straight out of the comics. Yeah, and it, oh, it's a fucking mean, great image. Um, almost exactly. Um, then we get the raindrops keep falling on my head. Montage. Anyone who, who dislikes that scene in the movie is a coward. Probably. Now they just killed Jesus. But... <laughs> What? Yes. And he surprises MJ at the show. Um, and But she's like, look, I've moved on. And, you know, it becomes very clear that he, he just giving up being Spider-Man doesn't really solve any of his problems. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you get that whole thing. And it's, uh, it's actually the Jesus comment I just made is very apt. Because this is kind of like, you know, Last Temptation of Christ, where we have a Jesus that is like, look, I don't want to be Jesus anymore. And Spider-Man was the first superhero to be like, look, I don't want to be a superhero. <laughs> That's a very radical thing for its time. And it's this is like the first movie to really explore that. You have the scene where Clark Kent gives up his powers in Superman 2, but that's like the logic behind that is weird. And we eventually get uh, the return to the uh, another fire sequence, which is a reference to the fire from the first movie. Again, with the repeated sequences. And he runs in, and it's that moment where it's, again, this movie, it puts, it gets to a weird place where he rejects being Spider-Man, then he's like, alright, I get it, I can't reject being Spider-Man, Spider-Man has to come back. But then he doesn't know how to bring Spider-Man back. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, he runs into this building, he does the heroic thing, but his powers don't come back. And he barely makes it out alive. Yeah. He's saved by, by a child. Which is, like, adorable, but also just, um... It also goes to an idea that Aunt May will later bring up uh, in her fantastic speech. Maybe the best moment in a superhero movie ever. Well, we uh, can't get to that just yet. Yeah, I'm, 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 te- I'm teeing it up. I'm teeing it up. We're not getting there yet. We have to talk about the fact that the first thing, because Peter starts realizing he's got to open up the people, and the first thing he opens up about is admitting to Aunt May that he got Uncle Ben killed. <laughs> Which is such a heavy moment in this movie. Because she does not forgive him immediately. Just the, she pulls her hand away when he extends it, like he's like pleading to her, like I didn't know how to tell you, and then she just leaves him downstairs, and it's yeah, it's so sad. Like she eventually comes around, but this movie kind of goes like, look, that's not always going to happen right away. Yeah, which is rare again for these type of movies. You know, I can't think of how many movies where a very big thing is solved in, like, two sentences. I can think of, like, a dozen off the back of my hand, but we're not going to get into it. But then we get to Aunt May finally moves out, which, you know, that's her moving on, essentially. Um, Which I'm not really a fan of using that as a metaphor for moving on, because she is getting her house foreclosed on. 
which I feel like is wrong in a way. But hey, whatever. This is before the housing crisis. I I never considered that. Um, but then she does. Uh, she says to Peter what he said was very was brave in a way. Well, what I was teeing up earlier was um, Aunt May brings up this idea that you know um, this little kid across the street who helps her out. Uh, he asks Peter where uh, where Spider Man is because he took pictures of him and he's no longer around and no one knows where he is. Crime rates up in the city. Uh, people are. Confused. Peter saw a guy getting mugged in the street, and he left him alone. Yeah. Uh, and now he, you know, how how does he become Spider Man again? And mind you, this is only like a fifteen minute sequence in a two and a half hour long film, maybe a little less. But it it hits every little note that it needs to, and it explores everything it's about to. It's like five minutes. It's really short. Um, but damn. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and, and give up the thing we want the most. Even our dreams. Spider-Man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. Do you think you could lift that desk and put it into the garage for me? But don't strain yourself. Okay. Especially that final line. I think people forget, like, the ending of it with, like, allowing us to die with dignity, which is just, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> well, um, you know what? It's not like the Batman and Robin sequence. One, because Spider-Man 2 is an incredible film. And two, because in the Batman and Robin moment with Alfred just comes out of fucking nowhere. Here, this this is very much a piece of these films and this story. And also, it's the, again, we'll talk about it. Like, this movie's totally taking a turn, which I guess might upset some people, where we just forget about Dr. Octopus for like 30 minutes. <laughs> like, we don't even get like him plotting, really. Yeah, he, um, we, we pick up with him like for a second later, but yeah, it's not fast. It does feel weird for Peter to like give up being Spider Man while there's a supervillain still on the loose, but hey, you can't do much if your powers are failing you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then we get uh, again, and this this speech inspires him. So he goes up on the roof to try again. It's like strong focus on what I want, and he still doesn't get his powers back. Which I, again, I think is something a lot of people forget because there's a lot of moments of him being like, "All right, I'm back in the game," and then he just doesn't. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Which you know, because like the music like swells up. You think it's building to something, and then it just doesn't. He keeps dusting himself off, though, which I think is kind of the point of these two. It's not, again, it's not easy. It's not giving us any easy answers to these very complicated, serious well, problems. Well, again, he, he thinks he still he still can't focus. He thinks he doesn't have the right focus on what he wants, which leads him back to MJ at some point. But in between that, um, Harry Osborne's been having his alcoholic spiral. He's supposed to be and, 21 uh, here, by the way. yeah. Which is hilarious, and, uh, but yeah. He he ends up making the deal with Dr. Octopus for the special Tritium MacGuffin. Basically, goes like, look, go to Peter Parker. He'll help you find Spider-Man. If you get me Spider-Man, I'll give you the Tritium. 
MJ's like, look, I'm willing to start this relationship up again. But Peter's like, no, I've actually realized we can't do this. And she's very angry about this. <laughs> and she asks him to kiss her. And he like he's getting ready to do it, and he leans in. But just as he's opening up, his spider sense kicks back in for the first time. And a car comes crashing through. Which, first of all, I mean, I get that, you know, he dodges it, spider sense, all that. But what was the... Dr. Octopus didn't know he was Spider-Man. <laughs> He was about to kill the guy who would lead him to Spider-Man. Yeah, that's one of those things where I'm like, let's let's hang on a second. Wait, <laughs> like this is a little much. And I I think this moment right here might be where audiences maybe get confused because it it almost comes across like Peter got his powers back because he rejected MJ again, but really he it comes back because he opens up to her again. Yeah, the final moment where he's leaning in to kiss her. Is is like the key to that, you know? It's the key to all of this. It's almost like emotions are healthy and we should express them in healthy manners and not rebuke them. Now let's uh, look up videos. Top 20 emotional fails on YouTube. <laughs> no. Cringe compilation of emotions. <laughs> I think this is also where um, audiences might kind of turn on it because... Uh, MJ does a lot of screaming when she gets taken by the villains in these movies. And she does get taken by villains in all three movies. And I can see that as legitimate criticism. But again, I do not, like I said in the first retrospective for Spider-Man, I don't think that's the point of it. Her character has a life outside of this. And at this point in Spider-Man 2, this is where all the narratives are starting to converge. And... It makes logical and emotional sense to me, you know? It's the problem of the genre where that's just what's going to happen. Again, I don't think it would be that big of a problem if it wasn't the same story device used in every one of these type of stories. hmm You know? Um, in fact, I don't even think it really needed to be the climax of the next film, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he does carry her off. And we get into what might be the best action scene in the movie of maybe the best superhero fight of all time. Uh, this is the best superhero fight of all time. The famous train sequence on in Spider-Man 2 starts on top of a clock tower, I think. Yep. Uh, which is great. Some fun little set pieces there. And then it just keeps escalating. Yeah. The swinging, swooping around, just a speeding train, catching uh, civilians, getting tossed out windows, sliding across the floor of the streets of New York to launch himself back on. And this is the shit. <laughs> what I like about it is that this gets the big action scene out of the way before we get to the climax. Because I feel like if this had been the climactic fight, it would have been too much. So it allows the climactic fight to be smaller, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is really the big fight of the movie. And in a way, Spider-Man loses the fight. Yeah. But not before stopping the train and then getting his mask taken off in front of all these people. Which, again, fits in the theme of him opening up. Which I believe that's taken directly from the Spider-Man comics. I believe Dr. Octopus did unmask Spider-Man once. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I think that happened, and like the people were like, we won't tell, because you're Spider-Man. But yeah, that, I mean, that's uh, that's a perfect moment. I mean, this is like a perfect yeah. film. But that, that moment, uh, to to peak that action that way, to like wrap it up, and not like a huge like victorious struggle or even like a tired defeat. It's just Spider-Man doing what Spider-Man does best, and that's trying to help the people of New York. 
I guess what I'll say is I don't I try not to throw the term perfect movie around too much anymore. Unless we're talking about Pee-wee's Big Adventure. No, that's fair. Yeah. You know, cuz I I understand why someone like look, if you don't like this movie and you think this movie is dumb and you think it's idiotic, I respect that, but we will never understand each other. <laughs> That's really, it's like, if you don't like RoboCop, we'll never understand each other. <laughs> so, like, I get that people don't like it, but that's just how it is. Because it's, it's just, to me, it just, it hits all the notes for me. And not saying it should hit be that for everyone, but for me, this movie is perfect. This was a big deal as a kid, too. I mean... I just remember the hype for it, too. I remember when that first poster came out and, like, the only image you could see of Dr. Octopus was in the reflection of Spider-Man's eye. Like, that was the coolest shit. Uh, again, like, so there's a lot of nostalgia for me tied up in this, so that would maybe blind me to some of it. But, um, again, yeah, this, is, this, this type of movie is right up my alley. Mm. Uh, and speaking of just how important this movie is for me, this was the first movie, because we're getting into the climax where... With the whole fusion device and all the nonsense, you know what happens. <laughs> but the when MJ finally sees Peter with the mask off, that was the first time that happened in a movie, a superhero movie for me. You know, mm-hmm. like now it's diamond. Now everyone seems to know everybody's secret identity, and like no one cares anymore. But it, when you're a kid, the big part of the superhero thing is the secret identity part. And this is the first time where the secret identity was revealed to the love interest in a way where it wouldn't go away by the end of the film. Because, I mean, Superman 2 does it, but then he kisses her and she forgets everything. Which, uh... The way that that moment lingers, where it just lets these two people, even though the world's basically ending around them, mm -hmm. it just let them kind of acknowledge each other and be fully open with one another for the first time, you know? It's really beautiful. And then, you know, a wall starts falling and Peter has to save her again. But uh, it's, you know, part of, part of his daily routine at this point. I just want to talk about Dr. Octopus sacrificing himself. Um, where at the end, he, he, he reveals, Peter also reveals his identity to Dr. Octopus. And Oct Doc Ock realizes that genius, it's not a gift. It is a privilege. It, it, and, you know, it's not... It's because he, you know, at the beginning he says it's a gift that you're supposed to use for the betterment of mankind, which is why he sticks to this fusion idea. And I got a problem. I have a little bit of a problem with that the the arms kind of like take over his mind, so he's like less, you know, it's, he's kind of less culpable for his crimes. Mm -hmm. But there is something to it where he gets to a place where he's about to kill himself, which is when the the arms take over. So when he he got that when he that. Gave up that much on life was when he was taken over. So it, it, it's basically like a suicide of a different kind, really. No, it's uh, there. There's some great behind the scenes stuff wrapping up the Doctor Octopus story in this, where uh, it's it's really weird. Avi Arad and a bunch of other producers, and even Stan Lee comes in for a minute um, to say like, "Oh, people really love their villains. You know, they don't want us to kill them off." And it's like, well. It almost seems like they're hinting at him coming back somehow, but there were no plans for that. And it was just kind of like mm. a weird thing to kind of tee up that's never brought up. And could, I, there are ways There are ways to bring the character back. There probably would have been, but it's like, that's weird. The arc, I really like his arc in this film. They wrote a character so good that to bring him back wouldn't be a good idea. 
It's less, it, honestly, his death is less of an impediment than his story arc. <laughs> yeah, I'm convinced this is why Dr. Octopus has, has basically become, um, to, to the eyes of a lot of comic fans, it's more common to see Dr. Octopus as a more, uh, like, reliable threat to Peter Parker and Spider-Man now, I think, than Green Goblin. Reliable threat and a more, he has a more emotional connection and isn't just an asshole. Yeah, he, there, who there's tries more to marry dynamics. Aunt May? Remember when Doctor Octopus tried to marry Aunt May? Oh boy, who could forget that classic story? Oh yeah, comic books are weird, people. Yeah. But yeah, he, he you get more emotional stuff with him, more more uh, character stuff outside of uh, Donald Trump on a glider. And it, it's funny because we're like, oh yeah, this is like a perfect. This is this is a great story for Doctor Octopus, but then he does his self martyrdom thing. But here, I, I think this this occasion is actually a little different than what we were criticizing earlier. Well, yeah, but it's almost like he didn't. He, he kind of sacrificed himself, but he doesn't seem like he's happy that he's dying. You know, he's screaming to his death as he's plunged underwater. I mean, he just took the risk, and it didn't work out. And Peter and MJ get a great moment uh, after they <laughs> swing away to safety. A whimsical, whimsical moment in a web. A lot of whimsy in this. Good, we and need it's it. Not Life cool. is bad. It's not not cool to like whimsy. Uh, although I don't know. Again, there's like it's like a I'm 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 addressing a very vocal minority. Most people love this movie. It was it was very uh quote unquote cool to hate on it when the Amazing Spider Man films came out. Yeah, which I don't understand. Well, you I mean you just said it. People hate whimsy. I, I think people are uneager to be like won over by anything that's not like haha isn't this like nudge nudge people want their obsessions to be validated <laughs> and they never will be i'm sorry your dad's never gonna understand he's very disappointed you weren't a good baseball player <laughs> so you're just gonna have to live with that that's it's that's on him though that's not your problem harry osborne doesn't learn that when his ghost dad shows up and starts yelling at him Oh, so I, I barely remember watching this in the theater, uh, but I remember that because me and my family that I went with did not know, obviously, that he was coming back for this movie. So that was that was a big thing for me. I, I really appreciate that this was an era before I was like super tuned into like fan news and shit like that. I honestly think part of the reason why I had problems with Spider-Man 3 was that that was the first era where I really knew about like, behind-the-scenes shit. So, Harry's arc in this film is that he doesn't have an arc. He's cursed himself to to follow in his father's shadow as the new Goblin. Uh, one of the great cliffhangers, I think, in cinematic history. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the Empire Strikes Back problem of a great cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so good. Even if Spider-Man 3 was, a, a, like, a monumental success... I don't know how you, you, you match this. And that's that's not inherently a problem. It's just like, damn, they did such a great job with that character in this world that I, I you can only go down from there, basically. Uh, MJ decides to leave uh, the perfect astronaut man with the chiseled jawline and American values. And J. Jonah Jameson says, Call Deborah. The caterer. Tell her not to open the caviar. And she runs off, passing uh, Frank Castle in the New York streets, uh, which is a real thing. Did you know about that? 
Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, to go rejoin Peter Parker, because you know what? MJ is a strong, independent woman who does not let a man make her decisions for her. Because two movies in a row, Peter Parker's like, I have to be Spider-Man. I can't do anything by myself. By the end of Spider-Man 2, he's more open to to invite people back into his life, but he still cannot be with Mary Jane, he figures. And she immediately proves him wrong, because she's like, what the fuck? It's ridiculous. I gotta be honest, I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. Not that that wasn't readily apparent. Okay. But I criticize this film for being written by men. And now it's this is a podcast of two dudes trying to figure out what a, what makes a strong female character. You know what? You're you're absolutely right. <laughs> Don't take our word for it. Yeah, we're we're just a bunch of dudes, just guys being dudes. We're two guys who watched Spider Man two in our formative years, and it it's left a long large impact. So we're we'll probably not we're probably blinded to a lot of its flaws. Also, we are not bright people. No, we're idiots. We're not. We're not good at this. I think we're okay. Uh, I, no. Every episode, I'm more embarrassed of than the last. Keep doing it though. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got nothing better to do. This is my horrible legacy that I'm leaving for my great grandkids. <laughs> Want to hear Grandpa complain about a movie no one gives a shit about? <laughs> but anyways, I do think even with all that being said. I'm willing to concede what you just said, but I, I will also argue that I I find their relationship to be one of true beauty, even triumph, and also, of course, plenty of tragedy, because it is Spider-Man, of course. Um, and so the final image after a great heroic final swing is the inverse of Mary Jane being the first image of the film, where she was a poster, like distant, uh, out of his reach. She is now physically in his apartment, but now she has a look of concern and worry uh, because even though they, this movie has ends Peter's journey on a happy note, not everything's going to be happy. It's Life doesn't work out that easy. The look on her face feels like she just read this, the shooting script for Spider-Man 3. Boo. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Yes. Am I wrong? Yes, you are. Anyways, that's Spider-Man 2, and it's it's a great movie. It is maybe the greatest movie. It's certainly one of my favorite movies, but kind of all three of those are. That's right, all three. So I'm pretty sure Matt and I are about to kill each other on the next recording. I don't know. I liked it. Oh, I, I feel like you're lying. I like this movie. Oh, I like no, Spider-Man 2. No, no, the next one. There's another one? things get in the way before there was something i thought i had to do i don't have to i like seeing you tonight peter now on to the main event octavius is going to put oscorp on the map in a way my father never even dreamed of crazy scientist turns himself into some kind of a monster four mechanical arms welded right onto his body who takes spider-man's pictures where is he he's taking me off your loyalty to spider-man and not to your best friend Spider-Man to me. How do I find him? Peter Parker. Find Spider-Man, or I'll peel the flesh off her bones. There are bigger things happening here than me and you. I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com, and YouTube, and Patreon. 
And you can find me at the Diego Crespo on twitter.com. Check out the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, check out the Patreon. Help support the show uh, so we can talk about other movies. And we're crazy people. And Matt already brought up two great ideas for follow-up retrospectives down the line. And I really like the I've ideas. Literally, I, I've literally proposed the dumbest retrospective idea ever. And it's going to be a lot. We'll just say. It's going to be great. Yeah, I be hope great. so. <laughs> it's going to be great. If you like this episode, like and subscribe. If you didn't like this episode, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been Professionally Unprofessional. Check us out on MySpace. Behind the mask.